0: Um this this series we're in, it, it it's born of it's born of my own process starting back in 2015 when I had a life-altering experience and I was shaken, I was shaken dramatically in how I saw the world. And and after that happened, uh, some today, the popular term for it might be a, a, a deconstruction, but it, it, it wasn't just about how I thought about the Bible or something like that. It was really a c- complete rearrangement of how I saw the world. And, and as time progressed, I found, I, I went through a period of holding everything very loosely and anything that could fall through my fingers did, like sand. And I didn't know if my faith would do that. I, I wondered because I was no, it no longer had to be held by me. And what I found, that as I let go of everything, eventually, over time, even years, I found That my faith wasn't something that I actually was holding, but it was God that was holding me. And there were things in the scriptures that I'd always wondered about. Things that Jesus talked about that I couldn't quite reconcile with the faith that was handed to me. One of those things was the kingdom of heaven and the way that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, that it felt like it was something that could be seen or touched or tasted in the here and now. And so that's what this sermon series is about. It's it's not only about that for me or for you, but it's also a way that I've found that I I can share it with other people, that I can evangelize talking about this kingdom of heaven because I'm starting more and more to experience that in my world here and now today. So this morning in this text, we're talking about seeing this kingdom. Contrary to popular belief, pretty much everybody, most everybody, when we look at the world, we see the exact same things. Same things, and yet the way that we interpret what we see varies very greatly. That somebody might look and see someone smiling at them and one person might say, oh, that person is happy to see me and wants to build relationship with me. And somebody else might look at that smiling person and say, what are they up to? They're seeing the exact same thing with a totally different interpretation. Sometimes our interpretation of the world becomes so wounded and disfigured that it can't be salvaged anymore. It actually has to be thrown away at some point or we'll spend the rest of our life seeing everything so wounded and disfigured that we will believe that's all there is to this world. And so if we are tired of that, or if you know somebody who's tired of that, then what is laid before them, what Jesus offers is a new vision, a new way to see the world. Sometimes he calls this new vision seeing the kingdom of heaven. I pray that we leave today with a greater desire to see that kingdom, but not just to hold it for ourselves, but to invite other people into it. Because here we have in the story, we have a very religious person, a very skilled, articulate, a very highly educated and knowledgeable religious person. And we all know or have known or seen from afar those types of people. And yet Jesus says right here in the beginning, that he cannot see it. And so we do a disservice if we think in our minds those friends and those family members and the people around us, well, they're not interested in religion. They're not interested in what is happening here, what happened at the men's retreat just yesterday and the day before. They're not interested in religion. But I wonder, I wonder if they're interested in seeing the world in a new way, in not seeing the world through a disfigured and wounded and skeptical lens, but seeing the kingdom of heaven. Verse one, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So again, Jesus, I mean, uh, Nicodemus, he is a really important guy and he's coming to see Jesus at night or Jesus is coming to see him at night. So he's not like ready to have an open conversation with Jesus. And, and he's commenting on the things that he has seen Jesus doing, that he has seen these signs from Jesus. And he comes to the conclusion he's, Nick says, he says that you must be from God in some way. You must have come from God in some way because of these signs that I've seen, that's, that's gotta be the truth. And yet, he's still so guarded and embarrassed to be talking to Jesus right now that he has to do it under the cover of night. Maybe that's us, could be some of you guys here, but more than likely, there are other people that you know other people in your circle of friends, in your community that have a secret hope and a secret interest in this person of Jesus, in this kingdom of heaven, the way that Jesus describes it and talks about. But maybe they're, they're not ready. They're not ready to say it out loud. They're not ready to say it where somebody else could hear. If this wasn't here, if this passage wasn't in the Gospels, we would be able to lump all those Pharisees into one category and say, all those guys, they were just too snooty. They were too uptight. They thought they knew everything. They, they, they were so confident and smug in their worldview. Why bother talking to somebody like that? And yet here we see, we see another example, something that is very, it's becoming more and more difficult for us in our culture and our world right now to accept. And that's that if somebody belongs to a certain group, a certain ideology, a certain frame of mind, that they still have individual opinions and feelings and goals that are distinct from that group. Y'all hear me? Nobody's gonna say amen to that, right? We, We want so bad to believe there's black and white, bad and good of all the people out there. And we just get to quickly just lump them into which category they're in. And yet here, Nicodemus stands here and, and says, Jesus, I think you're from God. I see the signs. Jesus replies to this though. His reply is pretty intense. He says in verse three, Jesus replied, very truly. I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You saw the signs, you saw the same thing everybody else did, but you still missed it. You still saw it through your own lens. So you said, well, maybe Jesus is from God. And you missed out on the whole point of what was happening, that actually heaven was interrupting things as normal. So yes, Nicodemus, you saw it and you came to your conclusion, but I'm telling you, you didn't actually see the reality of the situation. And then he says this thing, this thing that's become so incredibly trite and even scary and uh, and, and something that some of us in this room have wanted to run away from, and maybe you're here because you've run away from this type of phrase, like born-again Christians. I don't know how many news articles I've read in the past decade that say that say the line, born-again Christians, and then the next thing after it is something terrible. The born-again Christians did this. Ugh, I don't wanna be lumped in with that group. I don't wanna be connected to that thing, that travesty right there. Of what those things are. I don't want to be associated with the weird, crazy end times Facebook messages that my born again uncle sends me a few times a year, right? Or why, like, he sends me these messages from these, you know, weird news, you know, I guess it's news blogs or whatever about, like, yeah, and racism's not really a thing and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't, it's hard for me. I don't know, anybody else, hard for you to hear that term and not associate it with some of that stuff because that's kind of what's been out there. But Jesus says, you and I are seeing the same things, but you're missing the truth of what's in front of you. And it's it's because in order to see this, you have to be born again. And then in verse four, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So we hear this, this born again, and and then Nicodemus asks a really uh, kind of obvious clarifying question. How could that that be? How can you be born when you're old? And then Jesus restates it, but he restates it with different words. He says, unless they are born of water and the spirit. So that's some added meaning so, what he meant by that. And in fact, in fact, so this, uh, this word, born again, this phrase, in the original language that this was recorded, it's the reason why Nicodemus is having a hard time with this, is because that word, again, in the Greek, it means different things. So, the word, and we will put it up on the screen in the tra- transliteration, uh, it, the, the word sounds kind of like anethin, and, and it could mean from above, it could mean uh, from, from the top, uh, it can mean again, it can mean from the first or from the beginning. So Nicodemus is asking for clarification because this word can mean a lot of things and Jesus is saying something that sounds uh, really, really strange To him. So he's asking, I'm glad he did. Because Jesus clarifies and he says of the water and of the spirit that you cannot see the kingdom because you have not been born of this water and spirit. And then, and then he one ups it. He's like, well, if you can't see it, you also can't enter into it. You can't move into that space. How can you move into something or go into a place that's invisible to you that you can't perceive? Water in the spirit, water and the spirit. I mean, I think of baptism when I think of that, but, but to be born again or born from the beginning, born even from above, and then water and spirit, it, it's, it sends me somewhere. It takes me to something that I think, I think is crucial for us to think about, something that's opening up here. I want you to listen actually to the translation of these verses from Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message, where he he tries to take the language of the scriptures and move them into a more contemporary way. And and there's something about how he does these verses that I think will shed a lot of interesting light and energy onto this for us. So in in the Message translation, it says this, Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. Hmm. In in these words, there is being evoked the scenes from the very beginning of the Bible, some of the first words that were passed down from the Israelite people as they moved out of slavery and wandered in the desert and wondered if God wasn't the tyrannical God that required blood sacrifices and required them to be slaves and all these things. What, what must have God been like? What, what understanding, what word of God had we lost? This moment where it says that the spirit of God in the very beginning hovered over the waters of the deep. This is the image being evoked here, the wind hovering over the water creation, that first movement, that if you are not born of the water and the spirit, you can't see, you can't enter this kingdom of God, reborn and shaped by the invisible word made visible in your life. So we, we need, if our vision is blurred or disfigured or marred by so much cynicism so much that that Everywhere we look and everything we say, when someone says hope, possibility, we say, no, it can't. That can't happen because of this and this and this. That we're just disfigured from the things that have happened to us, the letdowns and the disappointments that we've had in life to where when we look, we see nothing of beauty. We don't see the terrible and raw potential for evil and great good in the world around us. We are no longer in touch with the way that we were made to see the goodness of creation, the spirit of God speaking life and meaning into the world. When we get to that point, we need a transformation. Somebody say amen in here, All right? I don't, I don't care if you're in deconstruction or whatnot. You could still say amen sometimes, okay? Shoot, I held up my hands in worship for a year almost and didn't, know, didn't even know what I believed. I just knew there was something bigger than me in this world and that, and that I was not satisfied with my petty little understanding of it. We need transformation. The people in your life, do you think that they want to keep seeing the world the way they do? devoid of hope and purpose, full of anger and resentment. I don't think they do. The beginning of John's gospel starts a similar way to the beginning of Genesis. This is what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to, I want to, I want you to try to listen real closely to this part. When, 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 when these ideas started to make sense to me, I got so excited, I wanted to come up here and run some laps around the pews a few times. I just had all this uh, this extra energy. And I was like, Becky, I'm doing, I'm I'm reading. And she's like, I'm trying to feed the children. You know, like, like, okay, I'll wait till later. (laughs) Eat your eggs, Xavier. It says here, the word was with God. In the beginning, the word was with God. This is talking about Jesus, And so when a person speaks a word, that word is not them, it's distinct from them. I am not exactly the thing that I am saying right now, but it is a revelation of the person who's saying the word. It's a revelation of their mind and their will, right? I'm saying what's in my mind and what's in my will, what's in my heart and my desire. I'm speaking it. It says the word was with God. And, and then it says the word was God. I'm gonna be distinct and the same at the same. What does that mean? Well, the difference is this. When I speak, the words of my will and my heart I, I cannot do it with full fidelity all the time of who I am, but God can. And so God speaks, speaks into existence, God's full intent, full will and desire and calls it good. And, and God speaks this word and this word is with God and the word is God and that word is Jesus the full will and intent of God made manifest. That we can see exactly what it looks like, what God's intent and will is when God speaks and makes something that is good and that that goodness is personified in the person of Jesus. So what that means... And the writer of Hebrews talks a lot about this in, in, in some ways that are a little sometimes hard to wrap your mind around and understand. But, but that, that means that Jesus did something and does something for us right now that can bring us a lot of hope. Because that creation that was spoken into existence, it was good. And if you missed last week's sermon, that, what I'm about to say, if you go back and listen to it, it might help you with what I'm about to say. That we are also the product of God's word. We are the spoken will and intent of God's word. In Ephesians 2, it says we are the poema. We are the poem that God has written. The difference is loaded with the potential of good and evil within us, Jesus found expression only in the perfect good, in the full intent of the word that he was represented. This is what this means. Jesus was 100% and fully always himself. That's a little bit different than sinless. At least by words. But here's here's what I want you to get if you get nothing else from from this sermon right now is that when we think about this, God's divine will speaking the world into existence, calling it good, saying that it's good, but loaded with potential because as human beings, the most spiritual thing we have is choice. That Jesus was able to always choose what was the deepest will and intent, and so he was fully himself. The, the fullest intent of who he was came to expression every time, every time, every time. I can't say that for myself. You ever said this? I just got, probably after a breakup, I just need some time to figure out who I am, you know, kind of, I, I just need to be true to myself. It's not about me. I mean, it's not about you, it's about me, right? And then you go off, and then you get in the same kind of relationship and do the same crap all over again, right? But that time it's their fault. I've not been able to live that way. I've not been able to live my authentic self as a popular thing to say is. It sounds trite, But it's actually, it's actually underneath it all, that's the hope that we all have. That's the hope that we could all be that spoken word, the full intent of the good word that God created when we were created. Isn't our goal to be like Jesus, right? That's that's what Christian means. It means little Christ, and so many times, what, what that has ended up being, what that has ended up mean, meaning is I gotta memorize a lot of Bible verses and I gotta, I gotta uh, fit into a particular program that's more a product of how our culture sort of automatizes things and standardizes things than it is of actually becoming like Jesus. If we were to become more like Jesus, it means we would become more fully who God made us to be. What? Isn't that a fantastic thing? Here, here, I spent all this time thinking I could either be more of who God made me to be or I could be more like Jesus and that these were two separate roads and two separate paths. It, it turns out that they are not just overlapping or, or, or roads that intersect from time to time, but they are the same road. So our goal is to become like Jesus, more, more fully ourselves, more fully the expression of the good word from the very beginning when God spoke it into existence. This is the kingdom of heaven. When we begin to see these things, when we begin to understand that this is actually God's intent for us. We didn't know it was possible until Jesus did it. Spiritual sage Howard Thurman, we still have we'll still have some of his books for sale after service. He speaks of this very thing as nothing less, less than our life's assignment. And I'm coming to the end, so don't don't uh, don't blink or you'll miss it. I'm gonna lead, I'm gonna read a quote from a speech that Howard Thurman has given about this life's assignment to find this genuineness, this pure spoken word of God within us, this expression. And when I read it, I actually, you won't be able to blink because I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and listen to it. It's not gonna be on the screen. I'm inviting you just to listen. So go ahead, if you're willing, to close your eyes. There is something in every one of you that waits, listens for the genuine in yourself. If you cannot hear it, you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. And if you hear it and then do not follow it, it was better that you had never been born. You are the only you that has ever lived. Your idiom is the only idiom of its kind in all of the existences. And if you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, You will, all of your life, spend your days on the ends of the strings that somebody else pulls. There is in you something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. And sometimes there is so much traffic going on in your minds. So many different kinds of signals, so many vast impulses floating through your organism that go back thousands of generations, long before you were even a thought in the mind of creation. And you are buffeted by these. And in the midst of all of this, you have got to find out what your name is. Who are you? How does the sound of the genuine come through to you. The sound of the genuine is flowing through you. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all the noises that are a part even of your dreams and your ambitions that you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you. Because that is the only true guide That you will ever have. And if you don't have that, you don't have a thing. You may be famous. You may be whatever the other ideals are which are a part of this generation. But you know you don't have the foggiest notion of who you are, where you are going, what you want. Cultivate the discipline of listening to the sound of the genuine In yourself. There is in every person that which waits, 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 and listens for the sound of the genuine in herself. There is in that, in every person that waits, waits, and listens for the sound of the genuine in other people. And when these two sounds come together, this is the music God heard when God said, let us make man in our image. You can open your eyes. I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought about this until just now. When we were blessing one another at the retreat, my friend William and I, we were co-leading, and so we were more facilitating than participating, but um, Robert wrote me a blessing and he brought one over to me and I was really surprised and I won't, I won't remember, I won't get the every word right, but I think part of the in, intent I've, I've got. He said that he's seen me grow into expressing who I'm sure of that God has made me to be. Is that about it? And I think I've realized that that is an incredible passion that I have for you. And I think that is part of why I'm a Christian, if not even the core of why I'm a Christian. Those that see the kingdom of heaven see the potential of God's spoken word to us. That we have not yet reached the glorious heights of what God made us to be, but we can be renewed and reborn to that original purpose, that original intent of God's word, that good word. And when we do, we can live with hope. I want us, I want for us to be willing to receive that for ourselves and to give it to others. The message is that the kingdom of heaven is near you. Let's pray.